Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast based in Northern California, specifically Chico. My name is Max Minardi. And I'm Johnny Summers. What are you doing? Are you I, drinking a beer? I <laughs> yeah, hope you're I'm about a to beer. drink a beer. Uh, I'm coming off of a pretty fun recording session with my co-host Johnny Summers on our Patreon. We'll talk about Patreon in a second, but before we get to those juicy tidbits, Johnny, where can just sort of the average Joe go to find us on the internet? Um, well, Max's address is... Oh, the internet. <laughs> the gotcha. internet. Yeah. Uh, if you have an iPhone, or I think you can get to Apple Podcasts on like a not Apple device. You I can don't know, do but it. Rate, yeah. Uh, rating and reviewing uh, is probably the most important place you can find us on the interwebs. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, or if it's on Google, I think you can rate stuff there too, but mm-hmm. do it. Tell people you love us because we love them and we love you. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fresh Hop Cinema, Letterboxd and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema. Email us your thoughts, complaints, uh, all sorts of fun things at fhccast at gmail.com. And also financially to help us out and not be poor, you can go to patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. Way to bring it back around. Again, yeah, it's it's if you don't know what Patreon is and you're just tuning into this show for the first time, it's a really, really fun and easy way to give us a couple dollars of your hard-earned cash. You can give us like a buck per episode. You could give us a buck per month if you want. Um, and in return, we give you access to years worth of bonus content. What I was excited about when we started this is that we just recorded the first installment of our, uh, we're calling it Making Movies 101 series. And today we covered basically what, what the heck producer means when you see on a movie, you all kind of know what a director is and you know who it's starring, what you say produced by a lot of people are just like, I don't know what that is. Executive producer, associate producer, producer, producer. What even is that? And we took, uh, just over 20 minutes, I think is what it was. And we broke it down, talked about some famous producers, um, including the two films called the producers, uh, and just kind of took a deep dive into that. And that's part of an ongoing series that we're going to be, uh, doing over the next, however long it takes, actually. That's part of the fun of Patreon. You can be like, hey, we want you to talk about what a gaffer is. And we're like, all right, deal. You're part of this. You pay for this. We will cater to you. So that's Patreon. That's right. You go to patreon.com slash freshhopcinema. I swear it takes like three minutes to sign up and like the cost of a cup, a cup of coffee a month, you can keep this show running and it makes us feel really, really nice. Yeah. We also do bonus beer reviews. Yeah. We do bonus lists of like favorite actors. Well, we did one one time that was the best top five drunk characters in movies just just fun random stuff like that so if you want some more of us which obviously you do check it out the other cool part is that oftentimes those top fives lists correspond to what we're covering on the episodes you're hearing now so like we yeah we did the top five alcoholic leads to go with an episode a couple weeks ago another round we did our top five disney pixar movies when we covered um soul we're gonna be uh if you want a little peek into the future our top five denzel washington roles to go with uh, his new film the little things which is on hbo max we'll be covering that uh, next week so it's a lot of fun if you want more podcast content and you want to feel really good about supporting something do it check it out yeah yeah you got anything else before we dive into our first beer no man i'm thirsty okay well you provided well you provided both but you provided this one too so what are we drinking first yeah, I I gave you both physically, but this one I actually acquired personally, and uh, I have a bunch of it still in my fridge, and I wanted to bequeath upon you 
the wealth that is the rotating hop pilsner Willamette Hops from Ennegrin Brewing Company out of Moore Park, California. This bad boy is a German-style pilsner with an ABV of 4.8%. It was inspired by all the great German beers that have come in the past. Uh, this beer is featuring, like it said, well, I'm at hops from the Pacific Northwest, uh, and they're going to be bringing a subtle kind of spiciness, maybe some herbal notes, definitely some floral, and a, just a little bit of fruit. Uh, you're going to be tasting a lot of the hops in this, more than you would think for a Pilsner. Wait a minute, Johnny, uh, what, you said Ennegrin Brewing Company. I don't think I've ever had their beers before. Can you, by chance, tell me a little bit about them? Have you really never had them? I know I haven't, but I've seen these cans before, which I might as well talk about it now. It's this really sort of um, royal looking can. It's it's this gorgeous color, a couple colors, like like a pale straw yellow and, and a reflective gold and a forest green. And it reminds me of almost traditional like English ales. You know what I mean? Does that ring any bells to you? Mm, a little bit. Yeah. Just because it's got like the, it's a very uh, knightly almost. Yeah. Because it's got like a, what do they call those? A crest? Yeah. It's almost, like a, almost it's like, a family crest in the top left corner there. Yeah. I love that it says, for the glory and power of beer. That makes me feel good. Right? It's just a good-looking yeah. can. It's a good-feeling can. Yeah. But no, I've and, never had uh, the beers. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we could do it for the show. I must confess that I'm I'm pretty biased to this brewery. They are one of my favorite breweries producing, like, bloggers on the West Coast. Oh, wow. Really? Um, yeah. They're, they're way up there in my book. I have massive amounts of respect for this brewery. Uh, and a little bit of background from their website. Founded in 2010, Ennegrin Brewing Company is an independently owned craft brewery located in Moore Park, California, right. in Ventura County. Uh, the company was founded with a passion for good beer by Chris and Matt Ennegrin and Joe Nishenzi. Nice. I'm going to say that. Let's go with that. Hopefully it sounds cool. It definitely Nishenzi. sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, they focus on German-inspired beers with a heavy emphasis on lager-style beers. We produce six beers year-round. The lightest one, Lagertha, Schoner, Tog, Valkyrie. Ennegrin IPA, and Nighthawk. We also have several rotating seasonal brews as well as numerous special releases and one-off brews that push the boundaries of lager craft beer. Uh, Why they brew. This is maybe my favorite part of their website. There is something special about beer, something uniquely intrinsic about its nature that brings people together to celebrate life, feats of strength, and the honor earned from a hard day's work. So take hold of your glass and raise it high. Here's to you, here's to the day, and here's to the glory and the power of beer. Two two things. Uh, when I first reformatted this to fit in our notes, I thought it I thought it said, and I didn't realize it didn't say this until just now. I thought it started with "There's nothing special about beer." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, that's a weird approach. But okay, let's see what that's about. Um, right. Do you, what what you read makes a lot more sense because there is there is something special about beer. I think that's a really nice sort of way to to jump off the diving board here. Like, I feel like I get what these guys are about from from that why we brew segment and um just their can like i feel like i get it you know yeah like they brew like it's not a lot of crazy stuff man it's all fairly straightforward like they've done some fun porters and stuff with like some maple and like some coffee Mm -hmm. but their real wheel wheelhouse is is lagers and like i said and like they said they are really pushing the boundaries of what lager craft beer can be because when you taste this beer you're not gonna just taste like a traditional, like simple, straightforward lager with no complexity. There's, there's a depth to it, and they really, to me, put the craft in this style of beer. So, I am very excited to share this with you. It's it's one that like I could have just drank all these at my house, but like I wanted to share it with you and I wanted to talk about it. So, yeah, I was going to ask you then. You've had their beers before. Have you had this particular variation of of this pilsner? 
Um, not before I got it. Okay. And are you allowed slash wanting to say how you got this? Well, they ship. Oh, okay, great. Well, that's great to know. Did you just order on their website kind of thing? Uh, yes. Nice, man. Okay. Um, so I, I think mine in I, had a, I, I, I had a friend mail it to me, but I'm pretty sure you can just order beer from them directly. Either way. Yeah. I mean, either way. I think once you order from their website, you might have, that might be what you're saying. I think once you order from their website, you can basically say, yeah, I had a friend ship it to me. Cause I feel like that's what ordering from these guys will feel like. Just a, exactly. just a hunch. Um, I've only poured mine so far. It looks about like you'd expect a little bit darker um, than, than an American Pilsner, like, like our go-to uh, trumer might be. It's a little bit more mm-hmm. golden. Not quite um, the yellow on the can, not quite the gold, somewhere in between. What do you think of this? Um, I am super into it. Uh, I haven't had it in about five days just because I wanted to kind of forget it, like cleanse my palate of it. And I didn't yeah. want to be drinking these every night leading up to this and then be just like, yeah, it's awesome. I've had it every night. Like, yeah, right. needed to, to let it rest and then revisit it with like kind of a fresh set of eyes. And uh, I love its complexity and its simplicity and the way that the two intersect. It's really fascinating because it's massively drinkable, but also it's it's complex in the way that a craft beer is complex, not in the way that like a Coors Light is complex. It's, yeah, it's yeah. definitely not one dimensional. No. It's It's got nooks and crannies and different flavors. And uh, I love this single hop idea that you're just, it's, again, it's staying with that like simple, straightforward, but also like showcasing the complexities of one hop and what it can do. So I really, really like this beer. Have you had a chance to try it yet? Yeah, I just sipped it. I, I think what I really like about German style Pilsners and lagers in general is, and we've talked about this in the past, is the the um, sort of slippery slope that you can get into if you're an inexperienced brewer or just a very experienced bad brewer. There's nothing to hide behind, you know? Um, so I agree with you. This isn't one dimensional at all, um, but it is sort of it feels like an exercise in, in subtlety, you know, like there's a lot going on, but it's, it's not punching me in the mouth or anything. Um, yeah, I think there's a ton of nuance here. A lot of layers. I, I need to take another sip to start formulating what those layers might be, but I enjoy it off, off the, off the gun. Yeah. And if, uh, I can input anything is to, uh, take some big gulps to this beer. They serve their yeah. beer at their beer garden. In I don't mind that liter. advice at all. That's great advice. In, in liters. Yeah. Great. They, so you'd get a liter mug of this and, uh, just quaff it like a real Oktoberfest vibe. Um, so yeah, this beer is definitely not meant to be sipped in my opinion. This is meant to be just embraced in a nice mouth hug and just, you know, Drink heartily. Hug did I have? Took a big gulp there. Um, I really dig the spiciness. I think that's something that definitely gets lost in some German pilsners. And the best ones, like, oh man, I wish I could name drop right now. I've had a couple that I picked up maybe a couple years ago at name drop here, craft uh, in Reno. And the owner's real good about getting properly imported, like quality craft beer. Then I had a couple pilsners from, from Germany. And my God, were they head and shoulder above most Americans, um, uh, not imitations, but you know, stylistic head nods to German Pilsners. Like they're something different. And this is right up there. Like you, you could convince me this is not from the same state that we're recording this in. <laughs> and that's, that's a pretty huge compliment in itself. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I, I feel like I, that's how I feel. I feel nice about it. I wanted that to be a big compliment and it's, it's, it's stylistically, um, damn near perfect. I think. Yeah, honestly, 
um, you can see now probably why I wanted to do this with you. Sure. Is, oh, it's just, it's dreamy, man. It's like, if you're a real, like, endorser of, of good craft beer, you can see the validity in a, in a style like this done well, how it's just, it's breathtaking. Like once you realize like how much better lagers can be and how just drinkable and refreshing, but also still have some hoppiness and body and depth. Like once you have a brewery like this, it just raises the bar so high. And that's what this brewery has done for me. And that's why they, they made it on the show is that they're literally, they're just raising the bar. They're saying to everyone on the West coast and probably a good chunk of the East coast breweries that are producing lagers that like, Hey, the bar is raised, man. We're just, they're just doing it a little bit better than everybody yeah. else. Yeah. Um, okay. Well then I'm going to ask you first, is there anything you're not liking about this? Not much, man. Not there, much at is all. Is there something? I don't, I can't think of much. Yeah. No. Okay. Hmm. <clears throat> you? I don't think so either. Um, I, I mean, I, I do, I, this always happens when we get into beers like this or of, of a similar echelon in quality. Like I am going to start nitpicking a little bit. Um, and it comes or down you to, could just, or you could just not rate it a 10 and just leave it at that. No, I feel like integrity, you'd have to ask me why. So I'm just going to prepare. I'm going to jump, jump the gun there and just kind of tell you, um, I, it all comes down to stylistic preference. I think a little bit like, um, like the spiciness is good. And I, at this point I've had, let's say, I don't know, maybe five ounces of, of the 16 ounce can and it's leaving my mouth a little bit drier than say an American Pilsner might. And again, that's, that's by design. I know that's how the beer is meant to be drank and, and made. Um, and it's just not my favorite sort of beer finish, you know? Fair enough. Um, it's really, really exemplary though, man. I think this is a really, really well-made beer. I think it's, I'd, I'd be really curious to try different iterations of it with different hops. I think that would be a really fun experiment, but as, as this one goes with the Willamette hops is, is great. Absolutely. Yep. I agree completely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's complex. I mean, it's, it's crushable. It's, it's really just clean and just the craftsmanship. You can taste it. It's unbelievably, unbelievably crisp and, uh, Man, they're yeah, they're making killer pilsners. I want to order some more beer from them online. Yeah, they sell it like you can like mix and match. You can do like a six pack or like a whole case. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I could get in trouble with this website. Nice. Yeah. All right. Good man. That's great to know. Do you have anything else on this, or do you want to you want to rate it? Ah, uh, man, I do like the spiciness. I hadn't really paid attention to it as much mm. before you mentioned it. But that's it's, the it's thing. That's the thing there. in a German pilsner. I think. Hmm. See, I don't really look for that. Usually I just like, is it crushable? Yeah, that's true. But I like it, man. I like the can art. I like the brewery. I like the liquid quite a bit. I love the, a little bit of like crackeriness, that little yeah. like bready, just, oh, I love that, that yeast profile coming through at the end. Um, Very well-made beer. Very, very pleased with it. So I, I think I'm ready to rate it if you are. Okay, Johnny Summers, out of 10, what do you have for this baby? Ah, uh, man. It's definitely, definitely above an eight. Um, nice. Just, just by rule. Like it, you know, I would definitely travel for this. Like I want to be able to get down there once the world is a bit more open up and go to their beer garden. So, um, yeah, this beer feels like a, it's, it's high eights, low nines, man. It's world-class. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a 10, like, but 
because I think honestly, some of their other pilsners and lagers, like I've liked more. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's just like, you know, on what level you're putting this with like their other stuff. They are definitely at the forefront for craft loggers for me. And I kind of judge things by style. Um, so like a, te- you know, you know, we've gone through this. I don't have to yeah. go through it again. Well, I mean, there's, um, we, I like to assume there's new people that haven't heard our thoughts on this and, and you're not going to bore me. So yeah. What are you saying? Um, so like when I rate beers, like I can't put this up against the best barrel aged stout I've ever had or the best, single hop IPA or double IPA. Like it's just not fair. Yeah, it's, to apples, the beer. it's apples to oranges. Yeah. You're comparing different qualities. Yeah. So in, in my eyes, it's, you're judging this against every craft lager that sure. you've had. Um, so that's kind of how I do it with all, all beers in general, uh, break it down kind of like by style. And if it's the best, whatever you're drinking you've ever had, then it's a 10, like, or it's one of the best ever. So, um, for me, as far as craft loggers go, this is, this, it feels like a 9.1. Yeah. All right. I, I love that. I think I know you actually don't remember, but cause I didn't look at our beer ratings for this year yet, but that feels like one of your highest ones over the past month or so, which is saying mm-hmm. something. I think for me, I'm coming down at a firm eight. I think it's really, really good. It's not, it's, you know, the style doesn't ever really blow me away, but there is a time and a place for just a really crispy, delicious Pilsner. And I really like this a lot. Um, yeah, man, it's an eight. I, I really like it. Have you seen any of like the memes, if you're in any like beer groups or anything about like the evolution of a beer drinker? <laughs> uh, no, but I feel like this is going to be an insult. No, not at all. There's <laughs> this like, it's, um, it's like you kind of come full circle. Like you start out oh, with like sure. IPAs and then you go to like, Stouts, the biggest stouts you can find, and the, or, and the, or like it's IPAs, or no, it's it's loggers, IPAs, sours, stouts, sure. loggers. loggers. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know. It always cracks me up because I I saw that for the first time. Somebody sent it to me, and they're like, "Ha ha!" It's like, "Fuck you!" I, I feel like, attacked. Yeah, yeah. You've got to the point where you got you got nothing to prove anymore. Like, I just look. These are good. I yeah, them. man. Like as much as I love hoppy IPAs, like more nights than not, I'm gonna reach for a beer like this. Yeah, I think that's yeah. It's nothing wrong with that, man. So, yeah, it's a nine one for me. It's an eight from Max. If you try this beer or anything from them, or you just want to talk about loggers, shoot us an email fhccast at gmail dot com and let us know what you think. We want to hear your thoughts, and uh, it's always fun to hear about other people's opinions. Until then, we are going to jump into a discussion of a new film called One Night in Miami. It's available for streaming on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it yet, we're not going to spoil it without giving you plenty of heads up. Uh, And until that time comes, here's a trailer for One Night in Miami. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. <laughs> New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, hey, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually, Mr. Cook. <laughs> oh, shut thing, brother. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight is a chance for us to reflect. You mean no one else is coming? Well, this is all to a hopping start. You all are a bright and shining future. 
You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Miami, the champ! I swear we'll never find a way to where we're going all alone. The goal is for us to really be free. We want a world where we're safe to be ourselves. having to answer to anybody forward. We have to be there for each other. Who's the greatest? You brothers could move mountains without lifting a finger. That was a trailer for One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami is the first feature from actress and director Regina King from a screenplay by Kemp Powers based on his stage play of the same name. Yeah, plot goes something like this. On the night of February 25th, 1964, having just become the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Cassius Clay, uh, played here by Eli Goury, joins NFL star Jim Brown, played by Aldous Hodge, soul singer Sam Cooke, my man Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton, and Malcolm X, played here by Ben Adir Kingsley, at the Hampton House Hotel in Miami to celebrate Clay's surprise win over Sonny Liston. Over the course of the evening, they debate the gravity and responsibility of their influence in the civil rights movement as black men of power in their respective fields. This film premiered at the Venice Film Festival on September 7th, 2020, uh, first for an African-American female director, by the way. It was released in limited theaters by Amazon Studios on Christmas Day, 2020, before being released digitally on Prime Video on January 15th, 2021. Uh, We are recording this on February 3rd. This movie felt like a very great way to kick off Black History Month. Uh, I don't know uh, if any thing would be better than a discussion by Malcolm X in a film. Johnny Summers, this was my choice. I stuck it on the calendar, been looking forward to it for a very long time. Um, did you know much about this movie going into it? Yeah, I actually kind of suggested it too. It was a very mutual. Like, That's right. Let's, we did. You're right. Yeah. Let's like, we both really wanted to watch this. So it was a, it was a bit of a no brainer as far as what to cover this week. So yeah, I knew quite a bit, probably as much as you did. And okay. I was super stoked for it. Yeah. I actually didn't know this was based on a play. Um, but I guess it, it does have that kind of vibe. I think it's really easy for sort of single location films to kind of feel that way. Um, yeah. I like to think See, kind of I, developing a, a sort of a sense for that. Yeah, I did know that. And in my opinion, that is massively helpful into uh, the enjoyment of this movie. If you know that it's based on a play, mm. you're not expecting uh, – something that that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of vague, but it's, it's specific when you're watching a movie that's based on a play, like you expect something that, that presents itself more like a stage production. So limited sets, very uh, dialogue discourse driven, very single set or like two or three sets. So um, it, to me, it helped me enjoy the movie more just knowing that it was going to be that like, this is going to be kind of a heady movie that I'm going to need to pay attention to. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of dialogue and discourse. And like, this isn't going to be like, there's no car chases in this movie. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I agree. Like if you know that going in, you're, you're maybe going to be a little bit more keyed into the dialogue. And um, in, in my prediction is like, 
the I think there's a a lot to be said for smart camera work in limited spaces. And I actually don't think this movie has that. And we can get into my feelings in a minute, but how how did you feel about this movie? So I was very pleased with this movie. It was viscerally entertaining in that a lot of moments felt like you were actually in the room with four friends that were having um, a discussion that at points turned into debate, which at points turned into argument. Um, it, it felt very, very real and very palpable that you were, were spectating some very powerful and in a very exclusive group men talking about the problems and issues of people in that very specific group, which yeah. as um, Cassius Clay, Eli Gorey pointed out in the movie, something to paraphrase that not many people understand what it's like to be us like young, black and powerful. Sure. And that is such a profound thing to say. And it was very fascinating to kind of get a peek behind the proverbial curtain of what would happen in a hotel room if these four men got together and talked about it. And I loved that this movie was just propelled by the most fascinating dialogue. And it felt like it really didn't pull any punches. It was unintended, very (laughs) open and honest. And, um, you know, when you're have like a a militant person like Malcolm X Mm -hmm. and like just all the different perspectives and viewpoints and opinions and feelings and how they all overlapped, I thought this was a really interesting like four piece character study about all of their different outlooks on like what it meant to be black in America at that time and their impact on the world and how they utilized the power that they had and the opinions of one to another on how they were using that power and the the interplay between all four of them was just it was absolutely delicious. I could have watched it for another 3 hours. I loved listening to them talk to each other because there was a genuineness to it uh, and also a poignancy in the the relevance of these conversations that they were having about the role of black men and powerful black men in America and what it's like to be black mm-hmm. in America. It's, it's, it's voices and ideas and opinions that aren't normally on screen historically. And it's really cool to see not only from a consumer perspective of just being entertained by it, but also just, it's important that these things are consumed as entertainment on a widespread basis because they are important. They're part of our history. They're part of our future. And I think it was a very entertaining movie uh, and it was thought provoking and it sparked some very interesting conversation afterwards. So overall, I really liked it. I was very pleased with it and massively entertained, entertained, entertained. I uh, was old English. I liked it. Yeah, I was entertained. I was entertained. Twas very good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, big big fan of this movie. I really liked it, and I'm very pleased we watched it. And I'm very much looking forward to hearing what you thought of it. I actually, so I had I had sort of mixed feelings when it started because there's sort of, and I think this is a necessity because you are putting, I think, a, an incredible amount of weight on a couple of minutes of backstory for each of these characters. And you sort of get like, I think the movie opens, um, does it open with the fight? I think there's a scene before that, that I'm forgetting. No, it opens with the fight. Uh, um, okay. So there's, there's the boxing fight with Cassius Clay, who, if you're like me, you're like, I'm pretty sure that guy's name is Muhammad Ali. That is, that comes up. <laughs> he changes his name. If you didn't know. Um, it, but the point is you get sort of these three to four minute scenes of all these characters kind of doing their thing. 
And I couldn't help feeling like Regina King, again, the director here was like, I think just sort of disregarding any type of interesting camera work and, and just, and even dialogue just for getting the point across narratively. Like I get it. There's a great scene with uh, Aldous Hodge. Um, well, Aldous Hodge is the actor. Sorry. Um, Jim Brown, when he goes and he, I, I don't really know who this guy was, but he shows up at this white dude's house and they're sitting on the porch and the guy is talking to him like, you know, you're a great athlete and whatever. Thanks for coming back and saying hi to us in Georgia or Alabama or wherever we are. Um, and you can tell, and this is a point I actually really liked, um, how does performance here? Like he's still got kind of his guard up. Um, and at this point I'd forgotten that we're in the sixties. Um, and the dude keeps sort of kind of patting him on the back metaphorically for like his football performance. And then he has to move furniture in his house and his daughter tells him, and then Jim Brown's like, Hey, let me help you with that. And then he throws out a racial slur and says, we don't allow you in the house. And like the simultaneous sort of pain, but also vindication that you see on Jim Brown's face. He's like, I fucking knew I knew it. I knew it. This was all fake. Mm -hmm. It's like that weird Southern thing back in the time where they seem so sweet when they speak like that. Southern people do, but it's like just, just a little bit below the surface. It's just like, here's how we feel. Um, But aside from that, I think the other three characters sort of get this, like, I don't know, almost cookie cutter. Like, here's who you are. Here's what you do. We're seeing you sing or, or give a speech on TV or whatever it is. And we just need to get you into this room to have the conversation that really matters. So when I started this movie, I was a little bit disappointed because I was like, okay, like I get it. Maybe this, maybe this will turn into something good, but it's so far pretty uninventive. And my Mm. mind was changed because the meat of this film does happen in this hotel room. Yeah. And it's great. Can I, can I say one thing about that? I'm, I'm just to add some input. I kind of thought the same thing, but then I remembered that these are four of the most famous black men in history. Okay. And I was like, that's literally there just to be like the most bare bones, like lip service, totally. like who they are. Yes. Just in case you didn't know, but I, I feel like know. this movie. Oh, really? I didn't know Jim Brown. I think Jim Brown's the only person I didn't know, but I didn't know him. Mm. Okay. Well, I feel like all that intro is really like just bare bones. Just like you said, just to get them into the room because yep. this movie relies a bit on a, a, a pre knowledge. You're, no, of, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like you're hundred percent right. Like that has to be there. And I think that the smart move is what Regina King did, which was to kind of, you know, not to stick with the boxing stuff too much, but like take a few jabs in, in the early rounds here so that you could set up your hook and your uppercut later on. Like I'll take those yeah. hits so that I can sit down and, and really experience this movie when, when push comes to shove, you know? Mm, yeah. Like that's where a lot of the energy wasn't spent so they could expend it elsewhere. Totally. Um, all right. Man, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember the exact point where I came around to being like, "Oh, this is this is gonna be very good." But I did have that moment at some point. And I I just I remember thinking like, "Oh, this is great." When did this happen to me? Like, I'm fully invested in this movie. Performances are fantastic. I was particularly looking forward to Leslie Odom Jr. Um, I think he's really, 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 really good in Hamilton. And I was so stoked that he got to sing the songs of Sam Cooke here. Like, it's just so good, and he does a great job with them. Um, so overall, I, I was pretty pleased with this movie man i'm glad we we agreed to cover it yeah man me too i was really glad we we got to cover it did you have any more you wanted to share about like your initial thoughts on it yeah i mean there's one scene i want to point out and and i guess it's probably worth noting here though as this pandemic has dragged on i don't really know how realistic it is for me to say that i'm a professional musician anymore but in another life i was so in particular the conversation that I think sort of fuels the fire between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X is 
sort of Sam Cooke's influence that he could potentially have with his voice. Like he can, he can spread a different message than what Malcolm X thinks he's doing, which is sort of like rehashing old songs and singing to appease white people. I think there's mm. real validity to that. Um, but there's a, there's sort of a, and I'll dance around spoilers for now, but there's a scene that happens later where there is a song that Sam Cooke wants to play. And he mentions it to Jim Brown and you can tell that he, he, he wants to play it, but it's, it's a very, you know, it's a very personal thing and, and probably really nerve wracking. And it's, it's clear. It's like the most vulnerable, vulnerable he's been at certainly at this point in the movie. Um, and it's almost like he's asking Jim for permission to play it. And right when the moment is about to pass, Jim Brown basically asks if he would play it for him. And, and the way that Leslie Odom Jr. plays that moment is it almost made me cry. Like he, you just see the relief and the happiness and like for the first time, like maybe I can be myself and not feel judged by people. I think it's one of the best moments in the whole movie. So I wanted to say that before we do anything else. Mm. Oh, I loved it so much. Yeah, it was real good. There's also a musical number at the end that is really, really good. Definitely. Yeah. And at the beginning. I'd, <laughs> now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah. No, Leslie Odom Jr. is a really good singer. He's killing it. Yeah, he was amazing. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think we need to go too much further without like saying that there's going to be spoilers because there's not a great deal to spoil. And I think a lot of the the juicier stuff really gave dimension to this movie and it's worth talking about. So let's just go ahead and do that now. Cool. Let's give it let's give it a rating before we do, yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I haven't I quite decided to, mine either. Yeah, I wanted to ask you uh, when you watch this. Uh, do you mean like time of day or a particular day or? No, how long ago? Like when did you oh, watch this in um, relation to this recording? Let's see. Um, I think three days ago, maybe. Cool. Yeah, cool, something cool, like cool. that. What about you? I like it better when when we watch movies. I know you have a tendency to like watch movies the day of. Not since we've started planning, because I agree. I like I like being able to sit on something and kind of think about it. I think it really gives gives benefit to to reviewing it. So Absolutely. I'm yep. I'm glad you did that. I watched this on February first. I remember remarking to Shalene after we watched it. They're like, Oh yeah. damn, that was a hell of a movie to watch on the first day of Black right? History Month. We're both about to be kicking ourselves when we talk about Wolfwalkers in that respect. Cause we? well, because I you watched it last night, right? Yeah. Yeah, so did I. I mean, it's still, that's time to sit on. It's not watching it like an hour before we record. So maybe not. Exactly. Yeah. Cause there's been times where you like finish your movie, make a pot of coffee. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and then like, you're like, all right, let's talk about what just happened to me. Sure. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. I don't like that. So either. yeah, I, I was just curious about that because I think this movie definitely, uh, merited some, some sitting upon. So yeah, for sure. Um, so I watched this, yeah, two days ago. Uh, a fantastic movie. I really, really liked it. It reminded me of, almost Tarantino-esque in the fact that the dialogue was so crisp and all these characters knew exactly who they were and were strongly opinionated. And uh, just the interactions were so smooth. And man, I'm a sucker for like well-written dialogue. Uh, this movie for me was uh, was an 8.7. I, wow, I really dug it. I thought it was just, it was a really well-put-together movie. Uh, I, I, I loved pretty much every minute of it. Uh, it's definitely a movie you should watch well caffeinated. Um, just because I've noticed that when I'm watching dialogue driven movies, uh, they can have a tendency to lull me to sleep because voices can be relaxing. Yeah. Um, we also, get and, or like, 
Or Leslie Odom Jr.'s singing could just lull me into like a dreamlike state when mm-hmm. I find myself with my eyes closed and then I'm asleep. So, um, but yeah, eight, seven for me. I think it was a really good movie, 100% worth watching. And I think this will probably be good, got a good shot at being in my top 10 of the year. Nice. That's an early call. Um, oh, I guess technically this is still a 2020 movie. Sorry. That was my bad. We're calling oh, this never 2020. Mind. Um, yeah, I was going to push back a little bit. Obviously, this movie is is 90% dialogue. That's definitely where where it's at. I don't think Quentin Tarantino, though, because I think when I think of his dialogue, it's very stylized and um, unnatural. And this felt passionate, but like real people arguing about something in a room. Um, yeah. And I loved that about it. I think um, sort of wrapping up my thoughts here before we spoil anything, like there's I think there's a line that happens when they all meet up on the roof for the first time. And I think it's Malcolm X that says. Uh, and he's, I think he's talking to Sam. He says, you know, what's gone, you know, what's going on around us. It should make everyone angry. And not that like the civil rights movement has been that detached from stuff we've been going through in this country for the past forever. Um, but that line in particular hit home, especially over the past couple months of what's been going on. Like, I don't know, man, it hit me. I was like, I am angry. You know what? You're right, Malcolm. I'm pissed as well. Like, uh, I don't know. And I think that actually might've been the moment where I was like, yeah, this movie is going to be something different than I thought it was going to be by the sort of cookie cutter, um, expositional intro. Um, yeah, man, I, I really, really enjoyed it as well. I don't think it's quite as high for me as it is for you. Um, I'm going to come down on a solid eight out of 10. I think it was really great. It's not a perfect movie that that intro stuff does sort of bog it down a little bit emotionally for me. Um, but it's an important story to be told. So I think it's, I think it's definitely worth the watch as well. Um, do you have anything else on it before we go to spoilers? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay. Then once again, if you haven't seen one night in Miami yet, uh, pause the podcast, go watch it. If you'd like, if not stick around, we're going to spoil it right now. Okay. Spoilers inbound. Johnny Summers, where do you want to start for one night in Miami? Well, I mean, I think, like I said, there's not much to spoil other than like, if you didn't know Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali, I think that could be a little bit of a spoiler. Sure. Um, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think mainly it's, it's, you know, talking about like our favorite scenes and then maybe a little bit about what happens when they all part ways from the hotel room. Uh, cause there wasn't any like pivotal moment in the hotel room that sure. like, was spoilery. So yeah, I don't think this is very traditional danger zone and that there's not like a plot point that like, Oh, can't talk about that. Malcolm X got murdered. Like we all know that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess then I will start with um, sort of the the musical moment that I alluded to earlier at the end of the movie. Um, Sam Cooke is doing what looks to be like a late night talk show sort of promo tour. It was um, supposed to be Carson. Was it? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, and I will put my sort of um, musical arranging where are the musicians brain aside because it's like a new song he's never shared with anybody. And somehow there's a backing track playing or a band is playing it. We'll chalk that up to cinematic magic, but um, you get sort of this, this closing, um, uh, you know, character arc for everybody. And it's all sort of soundtracked by him singing this new song. And I, I'll play it underneath us, but it's this great moment. Um, and it was for me still, I think the one in the hotel room where, where he's asked to play his new song is more powerful, but that last one is a strong runner up for me. It was great. I think it really tied, tied the movie together really, really nicely. Definitely. Um, any standout scenes for you? Good or bad, I suppose. Um, I really liked the way 
that he, uh, he, what's it? What was his name? Oh my God. I just had it. I lost it. Oh God. Eli Gorey. I really liked his portrayal of Cassius Clay. Mm. Uh, if you are not familiar with the audacious presence that Cassius Clay, I, uh, then post Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali sure. had as a, a boxer and a public persona, you watch this movie without that knowledge. You think there's, this guy's a cartoon. There's mm. no way that could have yeah, been yeah. real. It's like way too cocky um, and just like larger than life. I, inc- I encourage you to go back and watch some of, of Cassius Clay's uh, and then Muhammad Ali's uh, pressers and releases and, and some of the, the statements that he made. Like he was ridiculous yeah, yeah. and he became world champion at 22 and behaved as such. That'll blow your head up, um, right up. Yeah. He was the baddest man in the world and mm-hmm. he knew it. And, um, Brought a whole new swagger to boxing. He really set the tone for a lot of what you see. Like without Muhammad Ali, there's no Conor McGregor attitude. There's I, no. I'd argue there's no Mike Tyson. There's no Mike Tyson. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. He laid the groundwork for what a brash, bold, egocentric, uh, world class athlete could be. Like, yeah, maybe no Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Sure. With that, oh, for that sure. Crazy yeah, yeah. dedication. So I really liked the way that they portrayed him and and the way that Eli Gorey played him. Uh, also, if you don't know much about Jim Brown, it's worth looking into. He had a very successful NFL career that he walked away from. Uh, right, so right, just, right, right. I, I, I loved the way that they were portrayed, and I love maybe that people are going to learn a bit more about the backstories of these important historical figures that they didn't know before. But I definitely loved... Eli Gorey's Cassius Clay. It was fantastic. And just him being exuberant in the hotel room and having that like 22 year old energy. Cause he's, I would say probably by a good, what would you say? 10 years. He's the youngest person in the room, probably seven, between seven and 10 years. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is a lot older than him. Malcolm X probably being the oldest, I I would guess. Um, but yeah, he has just this insane amount of energy, and I loved it, and I love the way it translated because he has like this naivety about the world a little bit, but also like the streetwise, like the knowledge of it. It was interesting seeing that dichotomy play out in his character of like the innocence with also like just the knowledge of what growing up black in America yeah. gives you in not innocence. Um I really loved his portrayal and I loved his interactions with everyone too. He was, he was so like innocent and brought just this almost childlike perspective to every conversation. Like, you know, half the time it was just silly, but it was, it was an interesting, interesting thing to bounce off everyone else. And, you know, I loved Aldous Hodges, Jim Brown is just being like, he was so serious and brooding, mm-hmm. yeah. but not as angry as the Malcolm X. It was, Man, I just love the way they all played off of each other so much. So here's here's the question then, which is as as you're talking about sort of the portrayals of these characters based on their real life counterparts, the crux of this film is that nobody really knows what happened in that room. Like we know yeah. that um you know, um Cassius Clay changed his name to Malcolm X and and certain things that happened after that night did happen in real no. life. But Muhammad Ali. What did I say? To Malcolm, Malcolm X? X. Sorry. Yeah, Muhammad Ali. Um, we don't know what happened in that room, but Regina King has talked about basing those conversations around those people's real personalities. And I'm we've talked about this in the past, sort of the creative license you're allowed as a director or a writer to to impose on real people if you're telling a quote unquote like this really happened story. 
I, I don't, when I learned that this wasn't necessarily recounted from any real experience, it did kind of give me a stutter step for a minute, but I think ultimately I'm totally okay with it. If, am I telling you this for the first time or did you know that? And uh, how do you feel about it? No. Yeah. I, I, I knew that yeah. I looked into it because, you know, there's kind of conflicting information a little bit. Like if you're just doing surface research, because the description on Amazon prime says this fictionalized telling, right. Of, right. but then the first line in the, the movie intro is based on true events. Yeah. I guess so, that's technically so, true. Yeah. Like they were, the true event is that they were in a room together. That's like mm-hmm. the, the extent of the truth that we know for sure. Yeah. I would be curious to know if um, any of them are still around, if they could maybe add some perspective on here. I did not look into that. Obviously, Malcolm X is not. <laughs> right. Uh, and Muhammad Ali passed away, what, two, three years ago, it seems like. Is that right? I don't um, know that. Yeah. I think. I mean, yeah, maybe. I'm pretty sure. Oh, God. If he's still alive, I'd feel terrible. Uh, it sounds like Jim Brown is still alive. Okay. I was going to um, say, I'm almost positive Jim Brown's still alive. Jim Brown is 84 years old as of today. Okay. I'm looking up Sam Cooke right now just so we can know for sure. Yeah. Also, I love Sam Cooke's music. <sighs> so good. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, man. Oh, Sam Cooke. No, he died in uh, 1964. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, only, he, he died at 33. Jesus. Right so young. Yeah. Yep. Bummer. Wow. The Does second say thing how that, he died? Well, the second thing that comes up when you look up Sam Cooke is underneath his Wikipedia article, there is a history.com article that says, Sam Cooke dies under suspicious circumstances in LA dot, dot, dot. I'd have to click the link to learn more, but hmm. something else for Interesting. another time. All right. It'd be fun to hear what Jim Brown had to say then. Yeah, I agree. Um, but so, yeah, I okay. kind of gave, yeah, go ahead. yeah, that gave me a little pause, but it wasn't like, you know, Okay. They're, they're going to take some liberties and whatever. I think it's important conversations that they're having. So I'm going to give it a pass for not being historically accurate that we know of. Agreed. There's a scene in the beginning. It's when we're meeting uh, Jim Brown. He goes to this guy's house played by Bo Bridges. And they're sitting on a what looks to be like a warm summer's day on this wraparound porch. And I think I think it was Georgia. Was it Georgia? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're like... Bo Bridges' character is kind of like shooting. I think it's Mister uh, Mister Carlson or Carlton or something like that. I could look it up. Um, and he says one thing. We're like, he looks at he looks at him and he goes, "Our families go way back." And I didn't like the way he said that at all, right? And I like it was one of those little little just little peppery nuggets that are like, "Oof, don't let your guard down." As an audience member, like something's like this guy's super not kosher with black people at all. Yeah, that was a little pointed. Cause there's no way it wasn't like that had to be like a, I, I don't know. There's ugh, just a scummy dude. Yeah. Almost not like doing a, a rip off of Don Johnson's character in, uh, in Django. Right. Um, okay. I feel pretty good about one night in Miami. I am okay to move on. If you are, do you have any other thoughts? No, man. I think I'm there. Okay. Again, it's available for streaming on Amazon prime. If you don't have that subscription, you can rent it anywhere. Video on demand movies are rentable. It was an 8.7 for Johnny and eight for me. Let us know if you do have a chance to see it. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find us on letterboxd uh, and just drop comments there or shoot us an email at fhccast.com at Gmail. You know how to do emails. Johnny, you want to take a break? I clearly need one. Yeah. Let's take a break and get you some water. All right, buddy.
You know, Max, life is hard. It's been a long year, and this pandemic sucks, and life is hard. But do you know what's easy? What? Ordering an ice-cold, frothy beer and a delicious burger and fries from the handlebar. That is easy as pie. You should do it. You should go down there during happy hour. You're going to get some money off of beers, cocktails, and wine. Delicious food. Uh, It's like a hug for your soul when life gets too hard. Yeah, man. And that happy hour is seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. That's four hours a day, 28 hours a week if you're doing math. You get a dollar off all of those draft beers. Again, that's the Handlebar right here in Chico. They are located at 2070 East 20th Street. Go check them out. We promise you will thank us. A long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Okay, it is time for beer number two, my friend. Johnny, you also picked out this beer, as I mentioned earlier. It's a beer called Wandering Into the Fog from Abomination Brewing Company out of North Haven, Connecticut. Would you be so kind, sir, to tell me and our listeners about this beer? Yeah, it is an Imperial IPA that clocks in at 8.6%. Uh, it is funny because there is not just one fog. There's a lot of different fogs. Yes. Luckily, we we got one. We We bottled some fog. Uh, and we are doing the Wandering into the Fog with Raku Hops. Are you going to go Raku? I was going to say Rakau. Raku. Rakuku. <laughs> it's fine with me. I actually don't know how to properly pronounce it. I'm going I'm to say Rakau. Because I like how it's Rakau. I think of Cacao. They're from New Zealand, so it's Rakau. It is a New Zealand hop. Um, yeah, and so we reached out to, to Abomination, and I was fortunate enough to chat a little bit uh, over Instagram, actually, with Josh Arno. He's the co-owner and founder. And we talked a bit about their brewery and about this beer Um, And I think the way I want to start this is by talking about the beer first. So some facts about Wandering Into the Fog. It's it's a beer that's kind of been with the brewery for a very long time. I will also say that Abomination was established as a brewery in 2015, technically, uh, but they didn't have any beers commercially available until 2018. And their Wandering Into the Fog, we'll call it a series, um, has been around for about five years. And there's been about 17 iterations of it. And we are on on that 17th. and they've always sort of kept the same, um, as far as I understand it, the same sort of base of it and then changed up the predominant hop, um, which I'm, I don't know. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that we've ever covered a beer with Rakao hops before. Can you think of one? Yeah, I remember looking it up for something. Okay, well, I certainly don't remember which one it was. Um, and Josh pointed out that we should be looking for some particularly tropical dankness with this one. Um, and I, I bet we'll find it because he does seem like the kind of guy who knows what he's talking about. Um, but before I try the beer, I wanted to give just a little bit of background, like I was saying, on Abomination. Um, and Josh was saying he started homebrewing about 12 years ago. Uh, he said he never looked back. He just absolutely fell in love with the industry and the community and the creativity behind designing and crafting not only the liquid inside of the can, but the beautiful art on the outside as well. Johnny Summers, if you haven't yet, would you um, look up their website? I think because I I almost could have sworn like you would have seen their artwork and be like, oh, this is right up my alley. Like it's not quite in the same vein as Nightmare, which we covered on Patreon last week. But there's a very specific aesthetic they go for on most of their artwork. Um, wandering into the fog, not included. Wandering, yeah, yeah. You, have you have you seen it? I'm pretty familiar with it already. Yeah. Okay. Is it safe to say that you really like that style? <laughs> Yeah, their artwork's dope. Um, And in that same vein, uh, Josh says, when Abomination was started, we always wanted to focus on showcasing incredible local artists, and that still is very important to us. Most of our main series beer labels are created by the ridiculously talented Sam Heimer, I hope I'm saying that right, 
and our collabs slash one-offs are artists that we are just really digging in that moment. Um, like I said, they brewed their first batch of Wandering in the Fog, um, Wandering into the Fog, excuse me, uh, on a half-barrel homebrew system almost five years ago, and they were just giving out free samples of it at one of their first real collaboration releases with, uh, with a brewery called Rotunda Brewing. Um, they've been brewing it ever since, trying to improve on the recipe and making slight tweaks and changes. Um, man, I, I, I'm looking forward to this because everywhere I found it online, it was just listed as an Imperial IPA, which, you know, great. Um, but seeing it in the glass, I'm, I'm excited for the potential of a hop driven New England IPA. Cause I, I, yeah, I have to I, assume that's what this is. I think it is very much so that you get not a lot of carbonation. It's a very dense kind of thick feeling beer, both in mouthfeel and just overall drinkability. Um, but yeah, you're getting a ton of hop presence. For me, it really hits a ton of melon notes. I'm getting a lot of cantaloupe. Yeah. So I just had my first sip. Um, it's very, very much a New England IPA. It's, it's very straightforward in, in that sense. Like it's, it's super juicy. There's some hop bitterness for sure, but overwhelmingly, um, a sweet sort of down, down the middle, I think New England IPA, um, which is, I yeah. suppose, I feel like I don't know this by anything you said, but I'm just like almost counting subconsciously your breaths and like the the way you're spacing out your senses. So I'll throw out the disclaimer for you that you're sort of over, I think, beers of this style that are so overtly this. Am I right? Yes. And I feel like you're just being kind by not saying it, but I feel like you don't dig this. No, it's not the best. Like um, I got this because it said Imperial IPA, like double IPA. Yeah, right. But also like... I mean, I should have known better. It says fog on it. I was going to oh, say that's, that's, that's a, that seems like a big giveaway to me as well, but yeah. 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 That's, that's one of the trigger words, but I was like, yeah, maybe it's, uh, it's just got fog. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I made a mistake. Okay, Max. Uh, well, I disagree because I really like this beer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, happy accidents is what I'll call it. And I will also defend the double IPA because it is, you know, it's 8.6%. And if, if the biggest sin is leaving out capital N E, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. But I totally understand what you're saying. Like it's it's totally in line with the type of beer that you are tired of. I know that about you. Yeah. Yep. That's um, effect. But if you do like, excuse me, if you do like, um, sort of not not predictable, but but reliable juice bombs like your sort of treehouse beers or the really intense monkish beers, like this is in that same vein and is is pumping as reliably as any other red blood cell would. Weird vein pun, I guess. Yeah, I do like the hot presence in this, though. It is definitely there. I mean, it's it's it is sweet. It is predominantly sweet, mm-hmm. and it is to me almost disconcertingly thick. It is it is just got such a mouthfeel. It's like it's almost chewy. Like I'm wondering where the pulp is. Um, yeah, yeah. But it does have a nice hot presence. It finishes a little bitter. Like it's not sweet front to back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not totally undrinkable. Uh, it's just a style I could, could never, ever, ever see me personally drinking a whole 16-ounce can of this. Uh, but I do think this beer is is well put together. Yeah, we did a beer. Uh, maybe you can look it up. It was a monkish beer when we covered monkish. Um, could have been a month ago. Could have been three months. I'm not sure. But we did the second beer of our monkish feature was a double dry hopped uh, double IPA. And it had a very, very similar consistency to this. Like it was super dense. Very hoppy, but also like that sort of New England sweetness running throughout. And I didn't like that one. I think neither of us came out too hot on it. Um, but our main complaint, if I remember right, was that there was like almost 
all of the hop bitterness was fighting with the sweetness. And it was just making for this really weird, like heavy, punchy sort of flavor. And here yeah. I do not get that experience. Like I, I feel like the sweetness has kind of its own, its own path to drive on. And then the bitterness is also in that path, but just right next to it. And it's not, they're not conflicting flavors. You know, I, I like the way that these pair. Okay. Yeah. So it strikes a better balance for you. hundred percent. Like this, and I, this I, is enjoy. I like this a lot. Yeah. I think I would agree with you that it definitely does strike a better balance. And if I was into this style of beer, this is one that I would definitely gravitate more towards because it's like I said, it's not all sweet. It's definitely got some, some bitterness to the backbone of it. Um, but for me, it still is definitely way too sweet, but I can yeah. consolate that it is a well-made beer. And I think it is good if you're looking for this sort of thing. Yeah. I, th- I think the takeaway of what I was saying is, is like, you know, if you're a fan of Monkish and certainly I feel like at least out here in California, like Monkish has that sort of pun intended sort of haze of, of notoriety around it. Like this is better, I think, than certainly that double dry hopped one we did. I haven't tried maybe like five Monkish beers in my life, but this is, this is up there. If I think better, I think this is better than that, which I think is saying okay. something. Damn. That is. Cause Monkish is like, people love the shit. Yeah. That's that's the shit. It's the gold standard for like West Coast, East Coast haze. Totally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This is this is way better to me. Um. There's obviously some st- some stuff I don't love. Like it is it is. I think sixteen is right. But if I had a four pack, I don't know that I would go for a second one right away. It's such a strong flavor, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I dig it, man. I'm I'm stoked. I have it in my uh, my Spiegelau IPA glass, and it looks just lovely. Um. Should have taken a picture. Maybe I still can. I still got some left in here. Um. You got anything else you want to talk about, about wandering into the fog, or do you just want to give it a rating? Uh, for me, I think I'm there. I think I don't, anything else I would say would just be disparaging out of personal preference, right. and that's not fair to the beer. I think right. it's, for what it is, I think it's a good beer. Okay, then out of 10, sir. Uh, out of 10, it's uh, it's a 6.2. That's high. That's way higher than I thought you were going to go. Well, but I'm I, trying I very yeah. hard to be objective, because like, if I just shit on every hazy beer because I don't like hazy beers, that's not yeah, right. being a good and fair critic. Yeah. So, I mean, enough. like, you have to take personal preference out of it and just evaluate the beer for what it is at some point. Although, you know, I've said enough about why I don't like it. That doesn't mean it's not a, a bad, not a good beer. Yeah. So, right. well, out of 10, I'm coming down. You know what? Actually, if you have any uh, thoughts to fill time, I'm going to taste it one more time just so I can be sure because I'm, I'm flirting very dangerously between two numbers. I'm just going to make sure I know. Well, yeah, it's it leaves a lot of of color on your glass. Like I just finished the four ounces I had, and there was like oh like a, a hazy film on the side of my glass where I drank it. And this stuff is thick. Yeah, man. mine too. This has a lot of lot of texture, a lot of body. Dude, I look, I dig it. It's again like I don't know. I, I wouldn't reach for it all the time, but if I did want like a proper big. New England IPA, an Imperial IPA, nonetheless. Like I would, this is one of the better ones I've had. I'm gonna go nine, dude. Wow. Yeah, I think it's really, really good. And like, I don't know if I was going for like what I feel like drinking next, I might rate it lower. But for what it is, it's really good. It's re- I dig it a lot, man. And also, like, we haven't really talked about the can art enough, but I think it's really subtle and very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's like this really sort of um, almost ombre kind of thing where there's this magenta. It looks like a tree line on the bottom, and that's maybe like what do you think, twenty percent of the bottom of the can, and then it extends up into like this sort of pink lemonade sunset looking color. It's very, it's very, it's very tactile and smooth, and I, I like it. I, it it's does not sexy. at all go with like the rest of their artwork. 
Like you can right. see like their, their, um, their brewery font below where it says abomination brewing company. That's more of the vibe, but I really like sort of the, the calming aesthetic of this beer too. Yeah, that's fair. It is a pretty sexy package. It really is. Um, yeah, so I'm going to stick with a nine, man. I think it's, it's exemplary as the style goes. And I totally understand why you're going with what you're going. Um, can people get this around here? Uh, they had it at SNS. I don't know if they have any left, but I know they carry a pretty steady stream of abomination brewing. So, uh, if this particular one isn't available, I would scope them out and your other favorite bottle shops and see if it's around. Cause abomination does get distributed here. Sweet. Uh, ballpark price. Oh God. It was like six, seven bucks. Yeah. Sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you do get your hands on wandering into the fog from abomination brewing, let us know what you think. Again, it's a 6.2 out of 10 for Johnny. It is a nine out of 10 for me. I say grab it as soon as you can. If you'd like the style of beer, uh, Johnny Summers, do you want to talk about shape-shifting people? Yes. Okay. Then I will play a trailer for a new film called Wolf Walkers. It's streaming exclusively on Apple TV plus. If you haven't seen it, uh, maybe you can see this coming. We're not going to spoil it without giving you a heads up. Um, we're just gonna talk about our thoughts and we'll get into stuff. Um, as far as spoilers are concerned, but we will give you a heads up in the meantime, here's a trailer for Wolf Walkers. Wolf, wolf, hunting far in yonder. The forest is brimming with wolves. It's my job to hunt them down, not yours. But we could hunt them together. Wolves, bears, dragons even. <laughs> <laughs> one of them wolf walkers. Wolf walkers? Wait! The ones that can with some wild magic. You can come out now. We can smell ya, you stick. You're a wolf walker. You're a wolf when you sleep. A girl when you're awake. Robin! Something's happened to me. Yeah, I can see that. Flipping great. You're a wolf now. Be a wolf! The woods are getting smaller every day. These wolves, they're just beasts. Tonight we put an end to this. I promise your mother I'd keep you safe. Again, that was a trailer for Wolf Walkers, and there's a synopsis that goes something like this. In the mid-1600s, Robin, voiced here by Honor Neefsey, comes to Ireland with her father, Bill Goodfellow, here, Sean Bean, to begin a new life after the passing of her mother. Under the, quote, leadership of the, you'd better call me Lord Protector Cromwell or else, England hopes to set up a new colony in Kilkenny, Ireland. In the way of modernizing these, quote, untamed lands are the nearby woods, and after discovering a pack of wolves roaming the forest, Cromwell instructs Bill to wipe out the last pack. When Robin follows him into the woods, she soon learns that the woods aren't all they seem and befriends a girl named Meb, uh, voiced by Eva Whitaker, who tells Robin that she's a wolf walker. 
A girl when you're awake, a wolf when you're asleep, which I think is a pretty good Irish accent. Johnny, can you tell me some stuff about this movie? Uh, it was directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. It is currently available to stream exclusively on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Cartoon Saloon out of Kilkenny, Ireland. Wow. It runs a one hour and 43 minutes long. And it's the third film in an informal trilogy of films about Irish folklore. The first two were The Secret of Kells and The Song of the Sea. Yeah, Johnny, we've talked, um, and again, this is still technically, we're calling this a 2020 movie. So we haven't covered a ton of animated films in 2020. The one that comes to mind uh, just off the cuff is Onward. Uh, and I guess, I suppose, Soul. So there are two. Um, very good movies. This is different than those movies. It's clearly not an American film. It's not, it doesn't have the same sort of, granted, I liked Onward and Soul. Um, So I think I'm thinking more in the vein of like, you know, um, like your Kung Fu Pandas or that movie about like American Idol, but animals singing. Like it doesn't have that sort of stench of capitalism. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to throw this out kind of the same way that I incorrectly started our talk about One Night in Miami, but this was a movie that I really wanted to watch. And I'm so stoked that you got a chance to watch it. So I want to know kind of what you knew going in and what your initial thoughts on this film were. Uh, let's see what I thought going in. It was a cartoon. It was a cartoon about wolf people. That's what I knew. And okay. It was, your, it was uh, you said, hey, this is my flick pick of the week. You should watch yeah, it if right. you have a chance. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it was pretty surface knowledge. Figured it would have... A uh, pretty linear plot with mm-hmm. some some good and evil and some good overcoming. That's what I was kind of anticipating. Did you get so, it? I think I got it. Yeah. Was it any more or less than you were expecting? Did, was this a standout movie for you? Did you love it? Did you kind of well? You like, saw a movie. That's mm. fine. I I wouldn't say it's it's a standout. I thought it was really good. It was very very linear and very predictable. Like I kind of guessed certain things that would happen very quickly. Um, it felt like a children's movie that was about a half an hour too long. Oh, really? That's interesting. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. I felt like it was, I mean, it was a very simplistic film. There were some bigger ideals and stuff that were tackled, but for the most part, it was, it was fairly a simple movie about like not judging things and like being open-minded. Um, it wasn't bad. It was entertaining. It was, it was silly. It was fun. It was, it definitely had some 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 like underlying like morals to sure. it, and I thought that was interesting. I mean, obviously, I think that was probably the main focus of the movie was the underlying morals, and also like wolves are cool. And uh, I don't think it was a bad movie. I think it was pretty good. I, I wouldn't say it was great, but yeah, I was I was entertained. It wasn't anything I wasn't expecting. I think the animation style got a bit tedious for me. Oh my god, really? I, uh, I liked it, but it was, um, I found myself half of like, not half, but a lot of the scenes that weren't like with people in them, like the, the background scenes where it's just like yeah. a, a, a far off shot. Yeah. Half the time I was like squinting, like trying to figure out what the fuck I was looking at. Cause it was uh-huh. very two dimensional. Sure. Um, to a point where, yeah, it took me a second, like a couple scenes I paused I was like, oh, that's supposed to be like the town from far away. I when fucking it- loved those shots. Ah, super annoying. It was like, okay, it's just, all right. it just, all it right. was yeah, the perspective with which they were drawn. It just, I didn't do it for me. It wasn't super annoying. You and I are about to um, fight. 
is what's about to happen. Yeah. All right. I don't feel strongly enough about this movie to fight. It's like, I'll just, okay, you're right, man. Have fun. Yeah, okay. It's fine. I mean, if I mean, I could see how you because I liked the way that the characters were drawn, and I loved like the swirly, like cool, elemental, mystical stuff. Sure, yeah, those yeah. little like those cutscenes of like far off things were the only pieces of the animation that really kind of just irked me. Which, which, oh um, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, but like anything that there was dimensionality, where like you could like there was people, there was foreground and background. It was. It was clear. It was easy to see what was going on. There was just a few scenes where I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening on the screen, but it's like an interstitial, so I'm not worried about it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I get that. I, I super disagree, and, and I dare say I am I might try to change your mind if you're open to it. No, granted, you, you don't have to change your mind about liking it, but I, I might make a case for why those things were that way. And I well, think, I think that's you might, how they drew them that way. Yeah, but they did it for a reason, which if you, if you don't mind me taking over with some of my thoughts... um. Kind of harkening back to what I was saying, like I feel like so often with modern animation, and and I do think Soul is a really good example of something that sort of breaks the mold and the, and the story sort of transcends. Um, actually, I loved the animation in Soul; it was very ambitious and and cool. But I'm sure there's examples where it's like not that inventive, but the story's good enough to to not worry about it. Um, but so often in like cookie cutter American, you know, children or young children or old children cinema is like you know, what's the quickest way to get from A to B and how can we do it in a cheap way? Um, and I think here, like the animation for me is the first thing that caught my eye. And granted, if, if the story wasn't there, if like what you're suggesting, the morals and, um, sort of the underlying messages we'll get to weren't there, like it would just be animation for sake of trying out a new art form. And I think that the animation here is actually cool enough to justify that. Like there's some really interesting, dare I say cinematic techniques that are used, like some of those split screen things that happen um, or the dimensionality you're talking about, particularly how those angles evoke certain emotions or did for me, like, like what you're saying about the, um, what is that called? Like, I guess it's a town, but it feels more like a fortress kind of like you get these wide shots of it and it looks like almost like a tapestry hanging vertically on a wall. Um, And it's very linear and, and cold looking. And then you get into this forest and it's like, rounded curved lines that could go anywhere and, and like greens and oranges and yellows that just feel full of life. And like that type of, um, uh, you know, intentional use of angles and colors is so effective for me in like pulling me into what they're trying to make me feel. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so I think there, I mean, there's tons of different animation techniques throughout this movie, but, but the general sort of I don't even know how to describe it. Like I've never seen a movie like this. It feels like some cross between like a stained glass window and a storybook. I thought it was so unique. Like it pulled me in immediately. Um, and, and it sounds like they didn't have that effect for you. You just kind of got over it. It was fine. It was entertaining. I wasn't fully engrossed. I thought it was an interesting, cute little story, but yeah, it, it didn't grab me. I don't know. Like, like super. Yeah. It, it just felt really, it felt really lived in. Like maybe I'm just getting burnt out on like, CG animations like they left in certain like um I don't know art terms but like when you see a wolf you'd see like a little circle around its hind end and they, they did every frame like old school style it was so cool to me like it just really felt like they cared about this movie I loved that vibe well yeah like it wasn't CGI it was actual animation but like frame by frame like, anime, yeah, you never see that anymore 
No, like actual animation is like drawing frame by frame, not CGI. Like the last Disney movie that had that was uh, Atlantis. Bambi? Oh, everything really? since then. Yeah. yeah, everything since then has just been like shitty CGI. Like and they right. all look the same. So. Right. So so taking that one step further, like they did that, but then they also like have their own unique style to this. And it felt very much immersed in in Irish folklore. And I'm, I'm not an expert on the subject, but it felt like a real thing. So just visually and and auditorily, like I, it was just a lovely experience for me. I just really enjoyed the movie. Like I could just sit there, not paying attention to the dialogue, and I, I just would have really loved it. And maybe that's just like a a personal textural thing. Like not everybody's gonna like this movie, I guess, for that reason. But um, you were mentioning sort of the uh, um, you know, the themes throughout it. Like there, there's a bunch that we could talk about, and I agree with you that the story is very linear and and pretty predictable. Um, but I think that the way that they got from A to Z was really satisfying. Did you not feel that way? Uh, it was satisfying, but it wasn't super like unique or original. I mean, uh, but it was good. It was satisfying. Yeah. I guess what stuck out to me is like, there were moments particularly in like the first 30 minutes where I was like, you know, this kind of feels like a Disney ripoff. Like there's clearly like some really intense, um, like lost princess vibes and, particularly like Pocahontas stuff. There's a lot of that sort of invaders sort of taken over the nature thing. Um, but I like that it didn't necessarily go that route for the entire time. Like, I think, it, I think it changed lanes in a really satisfying way thematically. Yes. Um, and I could probably say more about this, but I will say that I think that I sort of picked this movie last minute. So in the meantime, and, and for the sake of time, I know we got some more stuff to talk about. I will just um, give you my final thoughts here and say that, I think it's a really magical movie. And if you are like me and you're like a little bit burnt on sort of um, typical or at least lately typical um, animation movies, I think that Wolf Walkers is a very, very um, safe and even rewarding path to go down. Johnny, do you feel like giving it a rating out of 10? Uh, I will say, yeah. In addition to what you just said, yeah. um, I- I- even if I wasn't watching it to be super critical, uh, it does scratch a lot of the the things that I want in a cartoon movie where like I have good feels. Totally. Like, it reminded me of a lot of like my favorite childhood movies where it's like one of my favorite ones from childhood was the animated Robin Hood where Robin Hood was a fox. The fox, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it had that like the villain of like the Sheriff of Nottingham and it had that feel. So there was a bit of nostalgia there for sure, but it definitely just, you know, good feels. It was one of those – this – I didn't watch it critically because this was a movie that I just needed to entertain me and make yeah. me happy. And I didn't have to think too hard about, um, but yeah, I, I liked it for what it was. I wasn't looking for depth. I wasn't looking for complexity. I was more just please entertain me and be animated and pretty to look at. And it definitely did that. So for me, this movie is like uh, probably like a, mm, it's like a seven two. Nice, one of dude. the better animated movies I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, like, yeah, what you're saying, you could watch it just for that, and I think it, it ticks a lot of those boxes. For me, what I think on a rewatch will transcend a lot of those initial feelings is, like, I think it does have a lot to say about sort of, um, I don't know, female independence and colonialism and um, the stupid overreach of man trying to take over nature. Um, I, at this point, there's no point in spoiling anything, so I won't, but I, I think the way that the sort of main villains arc ends has a lot to say about like the stubbornness of humanity. <laughs> um, right. I, I, I don't know, man. And I love like when she goes into like wolf vision at night, I think those animations are really cool. Um, and like the mythology of 
you know, uh, like people turning into wolves at night. It's just very cool. I thought it was really cool. I love the soundtrack. I love just about everything about this. So I think for me, um, I'm not necessarily going for a rewatch anytime soon, but if it's ever on or somebody's like, Hey, you want to watch wolf walkers? Like damn right. I do. Um, so I'm going to end on a, a really, really strong eight. I really liked it, man. I thought it was fantastic. Um, Hell yeah. but it's also in the scope of, of a bunch of other amazing movies that I've seen recently. So I can't go past that, but I think eight is well-deserved again. If you do get a chance to see wolf walkers, let us know what you think. Shoot us an email, find us on Letterboxd. In the meantime, Johnny Summers, I would like to tell you about a, uh, wait, can we go into hot and bothered? Yes, I want to know what's going on in your life, Max. Okay, so I took a trip um, with Gianna and a couple of our friends, our our landlords slash friends um, slash what's feeling more and more like family over the past, uh, however long this fucking pandemic's been going on. And um, one of Serena's uh, sister and boyfriend, and we went to Tahoe. And we got a little Airbnb. It was actually not little. It was super dope. They had a hot tub and a sauna in the house. It was very cool. Um, But we left on a day where the roads were, I think perilous might be an understatement. And we all You left, you embarked on this journey. Yes. Did you leave the journey or did you leave for the journey? I think both. Might have been both. Okay. Um, So you were traveling bad times. Yeah. And, And so the original plan was to like, if the weather was fine, like split it up between- his name's Sean, Serena's sister's boyfriend, and and my. We actually reviewed one of Sean's beers on the show before, months ago, years ago. Who knows? Um, if the weather was fine, take his truck and then also take the van. It was clear the weather was not going to be clear, um, so we crammed into his Toyota Tacoma. Uh, and if you're a math person, again, it's a that's six people on a trip and a five seater truck and a bed full of stuff. Um, and that the Tahoe three hour drive took that day eight hours. Oh no. <laughs> And, you know, like I'm a good sport, like, and everybody's a good sport for like the extra hour. And then you really start testing the the waters of friendship when you're like, all right, hour six. Okay. That road's closed. We have to go back another hour the way we just came and change. Oh, and that road's closed. So maybe we'll get there eventually. Who knows? We did. And it was just a super long day. Um, ended up playing Monopoly that night, drinking some decent beers. Um, I think I had a little bit of whiskey, which was really nice too. Um, sat in an outdoor hot tub in the snow, which was delightful. I would, I would drive eight hours to do that most days. I, I love hot tubs, love cold weather. Um, and it was just like a really nice sort of getting out of town to recharge my dumb brain um, after what feels like quite a long time of not doing that. So um, it was really nice. The drive home only took like four hours, so much more uh, easy on the back. That's where I picked up um, the bonus beer that we reviewed on Patreon this week. So it was a pretty good trip all in all, just a super long day in the car, that first one. So a little bit of hot and a little bit of bothered. And that's what I got going on my week. Man, that's fair. That's that's rough. I've been out of town a couple times during the pandemic just to like get away. And like what we told ourselves was even if nothing's open and we just go sit in a hotel room, I want to look at different walls. Like, right. God, it's just, a thing. Yeah. Just get out of your house. And like, ugh, it was like shedding an icky cocoon. Totally, man. Uh, yeah, I miss missing home, like that feeling yeah. of like, yeah, I, I'm home. Like I'm okay. This is cool, but like I, I want my bed. Like I miss that. So that's good. I'm glad you got that, man. Yeah. What about you? What's got What's got you hot and bothered this week? All right. So in keeping with tradition, you want album first. I'm assuming. No, I want not album first. Well, too bad. Okay, you have fine. beaten it into my brain that the show is. At times, about structure in the loosest sense. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, album first. So, 
uh, album first. I this week, uh, as of January 29th, when this album dropped, I have been listening to pretty much nonstop Weezer's new album, OK Human. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a surprise album for the simple fact that they've been working on a kind of a shred like metal kind of type album okay called Van Weezer that they've been teasing for a long time there's actually like a couple songs you can pre-order up on iTunes so i was assuming like oh new weezer dropped we're finally going to get van van weezer uh what we got was okay human it is absolutely fascinating because it's nothing like anything that this band has ever done before and all of the writing and lyrical content was bred out of all the mixed feelings of being in a pandemic. Yeah. And when I say it's not like anything they've ever done before, there's no electric guitars on this album. Oh, weird. Uh, there is a 38 piece orchestra on this album. Not a bad trade off uh, though. There is a completely different layer of personal songwriting mm. uh, and just like the depth of of lyrics and and I encourage you to like read up on like some of Rivers Cuomo's inspirations on some of these songs. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, but it's a very very good listen. It's definitely outside the box for Weezer. So if you're expecting another like hooky pop rock record, it's not for you. But I think you should go into it with an open mind and check it out because it's very personal songwriting and I think it's things we can all relate to like Everyone in your house is on their own device, and that's just the way it is now. But like, you can't help feeling sad about it, yeah. and like, we've lost something. And I think he's writing about the human condition that we're currently living in in a way that's very palatable because we're still in it. Um, but it's it's definitely identifying some things that we're all feeling. So really digging the new Weezer album. That's Okay Human came out like four days ago as of our recording of this. Nice, so nice. I've uh, been Spotify, Apple Music. Is that right? Everywhere. Cool. Everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. So definitely check it out. Would this be and, uh, on your list of albums that you'd listen to if you only had, I don't know, two weeks to live? Oh, maybe. Maybe. If it's been the last two weeks, then definitely. Yeah, I guess That's so. a That is a beautiful segue Thanks. into the show that has got me super, super hot. Uh, we actually, me and my wife, watched this in one night. We sat down and enjoyed this show. And this show is called Two Weeks to Live. It is an HBO Max exclusive. There are six episodes that all clock in at about 30 minutes a pop. So it's it's not the biggest commitment in the world. But what it is, it stars Maisie Williams and Cyan Clifford, who you will know from Fleabag, okay. as Phoebe Waller-Bridge's sister, who has just got the most excellent, brooding, serious, just feisty face i love it her facial acting is just absolutely fantastic and Maisie williams who you will know from x-men new mutants fame obviously that's the only <laughs> thing she's ever done that's worth a shit yeah um no you will know her from lord of the rings fame uh, you uh, fucked up it, uh it's hilarious if you should you should 100 watch this series i think you would dig Wait a it minute. i'm sorry you said lord of the rings and i know why you said it but you meant game of thrones oh yeah yeah yeah. Sorry. Now you're going to have to say why you said Lord of the Rings. So get to that. Oh, God. All right. All right. <laughs> Sidebar. Yeah. I got so hammered Friday and Saturday this last weekend that I was so cripplingly, cripplingly hungover on Sunday. All I could do was order DoorDash, which included burgers and Pedialyte. 
and I watched all three Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy, Lord of the Rings, <sighs> so good, Fellowship, Two Towers, the, Return the, of the, the King. Two Towers, and Return of the King, starring Maisie watched Williams. Watched them all. Starring <laughs> Maisie Williams as Arya Stark. That's right. Yeah. She was actually Frodo's uh, mistress. Little yeah, known sure, fact. Why not? Yeah, some deep, deep uh, crossover there. Um, but anyways, that's why Lord of the Rings is on the mind. Yes, obviously Maisie yep. Williams is from Game of Thrones, and there were several homages. Like they, they kind of own the fact that she's famous for that, right? Like right now, like she's. Not typecast, but like that's what everyone knows her from. They yeah. definitely tip a hat to that. In so two the weeks premise to live. in a two weeks to live, yeah. yeah. Uh, so give you the premise: a woman sets out on a secret mission to honor her father, who died under mysterious circumstances when she was a young girl. So basically, Maisie Williams has been like raised in a, a hunting lodge by her mom, played by Cyan Clifford. I think yeah. it's Cyan. It's S I A N. Sure. Um. But she's like really never experienced the real world, and that becomes super obvious like ten minutes into the first episode. Uh, very sheltered, but also very badass and like super skilled in physical combat and like survival. It sounds so like this, Hannah. It's a little like Hannah, but with a wryly dark, humorous twist. Yeah, okay. Like there's there's some fun fourth wall breaking. There's. Oh. It's some deep, serious stuff, but there's also a lot of lighthearted humor and very dark humor. Like some of the fight scenes have some very hilarious dialogue gotcha. between the two people fighting. Like it's so funny and it's so good. And it's it's a little bit of everything. It's funny, it's serious, it's violent, it's compassionate. It's it's a really good show. I was bummed that there was only six episodes. Um, you definitely have to go in understanding a bit about British humor. Like if you don't kind of get that wry, dark, dry British humor, you won't necessarily like yeah. love this. Yeah. Knowing that if you do like that, you'll dig this show. I think you would really like it. I think it was uh, a nice little show, man. I really, it grew on me quickly. And like I said, we watched it in one night. So nice, dude. I'm said, all about it. Yeah. It was called uh, two weeks to live. Where'd you say you watched it? Uh, HBO Max, it is exclusively on HBO Max. And I got to say, um, the more we watch on HBO Max, because we got it for the podcast, uh, the more I'm enjoying some of the content on there. Uh, and that's a good segue to why you should get it, because I think next week's episode is something that's exclusively on HBO Max. Yeah, we're covering the uh, the new film from uh, director John Lee Hancock. It's called The Lil Things. It's not called The Lil Things. I don't know why I said it like that. It's called the- <laughs> Why'd you say it's so cute? <laughs> I don't know. It's called The Little Things. Uh, maybe you've seen advertisements for it. It stars uh, Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and uh, Rami Malek. Um, and yeah, like you said, Johnny, it's only streaming exclusively on HBO Max. Um which is also to say, uh, people on Patreon, if you want to get ahead of the curve, we're going to be doing a bonus top five, as we have been known to do lately, on our top five Denzel Washington roles. So um, maybe take a moment to rewatch Remember the Titans or Malcolm X or uh, The Taking of Pelham 123, if you think that's a good movie of his. I think it sucks, but, you know. Or John Q. Or John Q, sure. Or uh, or uh, Roman, what is it? Roman, oh, this is like two years ago. Roman J. Israel. Uh, Roman Polanski. No. Um, Roman Holiday. In case it wasn't clear, we also need beer to lubricate this discussion, and we're featuring beers from Melvin Brewing out of Wyoming. So um, explore your local bottle shop here in Chico or wherever you are. Explore HBO Max. Watch the little things. Check out some Melvin Brewing beers. Um, stock up. Episode will be in your feed 
if you're not on Patreon next Friday, and if you're in Patreon looking for that top five, it'll be uh, next Sunday. So look for that. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. As usual, this show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. Johnny Summers, do you have any last minute thoughts before we get out of people's ears? No. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week, everybody. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.